Welcome to the Indianola First Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. Our prayer is that this message will inspire you, encourage you, and launch you into life-changing action. When I was about uh, seven years old, I was accused by my family members of snoring very loud. And uh, I, I don't remember very many things from my childhood, but I do remember that being accused of snoring was extremely offensive to me. I, I adamantly argued that I was innocent of these outlandish allegations, and I refused to believe that there was any truth to it at all. And in my young mind, snoring was something that old, very overweight people did. For some reason, that's what I thought. Not someone like me. I was a kid probably didn't even weigh 60 pounds yet. And somehow, I was apparently keeping everybody up at night. No, I, I, I didn't snore. I never snored. And if you want to see a little guy with a great big temper, just keep telling me that I snored. I was probably, it, it was probably the teasing of my older brother and younger sister that really got me upset about it. Making fun of my snoring was, was fighting words to me. And I was so convinced as that little boy with the middle child complex that I did not snore. No one could tell me differently. I was right. Everybody say, I was right. And, and they were all wrong, and they were just all picking on me for their own amusement because I didn't snore. Then one night, without any knowledge that this was going to happen, my dad got out the family Panasonic cassette tape recorder. Some of you don't know what that is. It's a little box thing like this. And, and it's strange. I can still hear his voice in that recording. It was very heavy. It was a very heavy whisper that said, it's such and such night and such and such time, and I'm standing here next to Barry while he's sleeping, and this is the sound of him snoring. And it was loud. I, I was, it was overwhelming proof that I was, in fact, a loud snorer. And to deny this now was, at that point in my life, was to call my dad a liar, like he staged it or something, which would not have gone well for me. I, I've talked enough about my dad. You guys know you, don't, you, you, you wouldn't, as a kid, go up against a dad like that. You just wouldn't do it. Um, and that's awesome, by the way, right? That's awesome. My family laughed about it. My siblings continued to make fun of me for it. And when I look back now, it wasn't really all that big a deal. I, if I would have just admitted that I was a law-sawing sawing, sawing, law machine, I probably wouldn't have been razzed so much. And to this day, every time I wake up in the middle of the night and I roll over to notice that my wife has retreated to the guest room <laughs> to get some sleep, um, I'm reminded that sometimes I do, in fact, snore. And let me, let me say this to Alyssa. Thank you for just having the attitude of, I want my husband to sleep. If he's snoring, he's really, he's really sleeping well. So she moves. She doesn't wake me up and say, get to the other room because you you're keeping me up. I, I, and it can go both ways. I get it. I get it. But I'm just saying thank you to you because she always does that for me, um, even though I don't know I'm snoring. My, my point is there are times in our life when we absolutely believe that we are right. We are right when in fact we're wrong. And those times are not just reserved for when we're children. It, it, it probably has happened to all of us multiple times through every stage of life. No, nobody likes to be wrong, right? Especially when they know they're right. 
I mean, like the old saying goes, I thought I was wrong one time, but I was mistaken. In our scripture today, and we've been in this foodies series for a few weeks now, but in our scripture today, we'll read about a foodie, a couple of foodies, who absolutely, but one in particular, absolutely believed that she was doing what was right and that her sister was not. So we're going to jump into Luke 10, 38, 42, and as we've been doing, let's stand and read the scripture. I promise this is a short one. This is only four verses or five or something like that, okay? Let's read it together. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken from her. Lord, help this word just sink into our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Thank you for doing that. I think God's, worth, God's word is worth standing up for sometimes, don't you? Probably all the time. Well, first of all, I want to get into some foodie facts about these, these two sisters. Mary and Martha, they're some of the most famous women in the Bible. They had a brother that also lived with them. His name was Lazarus, and it's the very same Lazarus that Jesus rose from the dead the week before he was crucified, buried, and resurrected. Uh, the, these siblings hosted Jesus whenever he visited Jerusalem during his ministry, and and they provided Jesus with the nearest thing that he would have had during, that, during his adult life, during his ministry time in his life. They would have provided him the, the closest thing he had to a, a real home. Um, he was there quite often whenever he was in Jerusalem. So, so this is truly M&M's B&B, right? Mary and Martha's bread and breakfast. So Mary and, and, and they, Mary and Martha, they lived in Bethany, which was just a small village about two miles east of Jerusalem. And I want to show you a map to, to where this is at. And that's not very big, I guess, but maybe you can kind of see it. You see the square there. You might be able to see Temple Mount right there. And if, if you go down south from there just a little bit, the, the, the outline there is of the city of Jerusalem. And you go east a little bit, you might see the Mount of Olives up there, the, the Mount of, of Offense. But you come, you come down here, there's a road. I wish I had a pointer. I should have got a pointer on me, shouldn't I? Um, but just to the east, about two miles, kind of off between, or just south of the Mount of Olives, was the town called Bethany. And that's where the home of Mary and Martha was. Just a little east, uh, a little bit of a walk. You had to kind of walk around the Mount of Olives a little bit to get over there. But that was the, uh, the place, Bethany, um, which was, again, just two miles east of Jerusalem. And Bethany was where, it is where the mosque of Al-Uzair is located. And uh, it, it's, why I bring that up is because it's located right above the tomb of Lazarus. This is the place where Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth. It's the place where Lazarus was raised from the dead. Very significant place, but on top of it currently, on top of that tomb, there is a mosque, the mosque of Al-Uzair. And because of our current events, and I appreciate Brother Gale praying for Israel this morning, you know, Israel declaring war yesterday, 
Uh, let me just say that these places we read about in the Bible, they're the same in which all this political and all this religious turmoil is happening. It all connects, though, church. It connects. I, I want to show you a map real quick of Israel and the surrounding countries. Th this is a little bigger. And some of you might not understand all this when you see it on the, on the news, but you see Israel there, and you see where it says Gaza Strip. There's a little white, just a very little faint white little section. That is where the missiles are being fired into Israel, even as we speak. Firing in everywhere, every which way they can. And there's a group there called uh, Hamas, who is a terrorist group. They, they want to be treated like they're a state, but they're just a terrorist, terrorist group. They want to they have total control, which they pretty much do over the Gaza Strip. That's been given to them by Israel. Israel has been very wonderful in trying to promote uh, 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 religious freedoms and things like that. That's why there's a mosque in the middle of Israel. I mean, Israel's, they're the Jewish people, right? And about 70, 80% of the population in Israel is actually Jewish. Now, you have some population uh, of, of Muslim there as well, and there are sites all over Israel where Muslims can go in and be a part of their worship because they have freedom of religion in Israel. Now, that may be coming to an end because you, you give terrorist groups a little bit of, you know, you give them a little bit, an inch, and they take a mile, right? And, and terrorist groups, you give them an inch, they take as much as they possibly can. They slap you in the face over it. And so just, just prior to Gaza and, and the Gaza Strip and, the, and Hamas, they're firing missiles in Lebanon to the north. You have Hezbollah, who's also a terrorist group, uh, a, a, a Muslim terrorist uh, group. They're firing missiles the other way. And you see Israel getting closed in on a little bit. And I, I just wanted to bring that to your attention because it's significant as Christians we can become arrogance about our salvation. And there are those that look down on the Jewish faith because of their rejection of Jesus as their Messiah. And there's been times in our history, there's times even right now in America where Jews are actually being um, uh, discriminated against maybe more than any other group, and it's never talked about. And I'll tell you why. Because the spirit of the Antichrist is at work. And he hates God's people. And the Jews, even though they did reject Jesus, are still God's chosen people. And God will make a way when there doesn't seem to be a way with them. And they will be saved. They are our brothers and sisters. We have been grafted into the vine. We get to be a part of God's holy chosen people because we've been adopted and grafted into the vine. These are the original people that were chosen, the descendants of Abraham. We've got to be very careful of speaking against God's chosen people. And I, I just got to say this, and I'm, I, I don't really care if it steps on anybody's toes because I just don't. But we must elect candidates that are 100% for backing Israel in a very strong way. You know, Romans 11.25 says this, I do not want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brothers and sisters, so that you may not be conceited. He's talking to Gentiles here. This speaks to us. Don't be conceited. Israel has experienced a hardening of the heart, he's talking about, in part until the full number of Gentiles has come in. So we could sit there and say, why aren't the Jews following Jesus? And there's a ton of Jews that have turned to Christ and are Messianic Jews. They believe in the Messiah. They believe that it's Jesus Christ. But God is waiting till the number of Gentiles 
that he has planned for reaches that, that, that number he's planned till we've come into the kingdom of God and then things will just begin. I'm sorry, but you watch, you watch the news at all yesterday and you're like seeing the Bible unfold. You can't deny that. It was happening and it's still happening. And I'm taking a little time here because I think it's just significant and it does tie in with what we're talking about today. On May 14th, 2018, President Trump officially moved the embassy, the U.S. embassy to, in Israel from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. That was a bold move. He also declared the city of Jerusalem as the recognized capital of Israel. Another bold move. All these things that are happening are important to us to recognize as Christians. And in 1 Chronicles 12, we see a list of King David's mighty men and the great warriors that joined David after he became king. And in a very small descriptive phrase, it says that the men who joined him from the tribe of Ishakar, everybody say Ishakar, Ishakar. So they were part of the, one of the 12 tribes of Israel, but the men that were from the tribe of Ishkar, it says about them, and it doesn't say this about any other of them, any other tribes, it just says about them, that they were, were men who understood the times and knew what Israel should do. I thought about that. Why, how did they know? How did they understand the times, and how did they know what Israel should do in that moment? Well, it's a long time ago, but the, the tribe of Ishkar's mantle, what is understood of them is that they were very uh, excellent in their, uh, in their studies, or they, they, were, they were scholarly, you could say. They were studious men who studied not just the stars and mathematics, but they studied the Torah as, as well. And the Torah is the first five books of the Bible, if you, if you didn't know that, all written by Moses under the influence of the Holy Spirit. And, and it's, it, it's it's all that they had in reference to the word of God at the time. And so these guys from Ishkar, they absolutely studied the Torah and they knew the word of God. We need to be men and women who understand the times and know what to do. That word understands, if you look at it translated in the Hebrew, from the Hebrew and you look at the original word, it implies not just understanding and, and oh, I get it. It's a deep understanding, a deep understanding to the point of conviction. And I think that's, that's worth saying. We need to have a deep understanding that God has a season and a time for all of his purposes and for the fulfillment of his promises. And we need to be active in supporting and voting for those individuals who understand the times. We've had political figures in the past who understood and have acted. We've had politicians who have not understood everything, but God used them in spite of them, right? We've seen that. And we've, we've most certainly had presidents who didn't understand it all and have funded the very countries and terrorist groups who are surrounding Israel and continually attacking them. I mean, this is big stuff, and we need to be supporters of Israel. And I, I want to get back to this idea of understanding the times in a minute. Um, but uh, Martha, and apparently the oldest of the, she was apparently the oldest of the family, and she ran the household. This is part of your, your foodie facts. The scripture says that Martha opened her home, so it refers to the home as her home. And when her brother Lazarus died, Martha turned to Jesus as the only one on whom she and Mary could lean. She was also the one who warned Jesus that her brother's body would be badly decomposed after being in the grave for days. She's the one that said, don't move the stone, his body stinketh. That's what the word says. She is always painted in Scripture, Martha, with having that very practical nature about her. Her appearances in the New Testament include her being busy in the kitchen, serving, and pointing out the obvious. He stinketh. <laughs> Mary, 
on the other hand, is always at the feet of Jesus. During this encounter that we just read about, she's sitting at his feet, listening to him speak. Later, when her brother Lazarus dies, upon seeing Jesus, she, she fell at, at Jesus' feet and said, Lord, if, if you would have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And this, this is also the Mary that anointed Jesus' feet with expensive ointment and wiped them with their hair just before Jesus was crucified. But this Mary, Mary of Bethany, shouldn't be confused with the sinful woman who washed Jesus' feet with her tears and hair and anointed them at Simon the Pharisee's house, which we read about a few weeks ago, or with Mary Magdalene. And you know what? I... I that's kind of where I land on that. And let me just say this, not everybody or not anybody really knows for sure was the sinful woman that we read about a few weeks ago and, and this Mary, the same woman, was Mary Magdalene the same woman? Is all, are all three women the same woman? Is there only two of them or is there, is there three? It seems scripture bears out to me that there's three, but it's not absolute. I mean, it could be, and, and that's something that we'll get to ask the Lord someday. And you know, I've, I, I got into studying this this week and it's crazy how many people are fanatical about what it is. You know, people are right, right? <laughs> They're right, and they can't be wrong. You know, you know what the real, the real message in all that that I, got away, I took away from, from doing that study was that God calls and uses women in ministry because all three of those women were absolutely essential and important, even in leadership in the early church. So, you know, you, 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 sometimes people miss the point because they're too busy trying to be right. But that is very much the case there. So the foodie facts here are basically a tale of two sisters. One is always practical in her service to Jesus. The other always seems to be at the feet of Jesus, who is, uh, was typical of one who wanted to learn. That's the position, that's the posture of one who wants to learn, a position of submission, the position of a disciple. So which sister was right in the way they acted? Again, Mary is at Jesus' feet, taking in every word. She wasn't studying the Torah, she was listening to Jesus. Maybe she understood what was going on at the time. I think she did. And Martha's distracted with her practical preparations. And we know that Jesus reprimands Martha and says that Mary has chosen what is better. But I want you to understand something. That doesn't mean that, that practical hands-on service to the Lord is a bad thing. He didn't say Martha was wrong. He said Mary chose what was better in that moment. It's amazing how Scripture can do this, but the four little verses that we read presents a real dichotomy that has had implications throughout church history at how we best serve Jesus. I mean, th th this is real-life problems, okay? This is, this is where the church can sometimes be at. Is it in doing? Should we serve the Lord by doing, which is the to the extreme could result in a works-based faith, or, or do we serve Jesus best by just never leaving his presence? which to the extreme could result in some kind of isolation from the world kind of attitude. Should, should we always be just studying his word and praying, or, or should we see the mammoth amount of spiritual work there is to do and get doing it? And of course, this branches out into all sorts of topics, spiritually speaking. Do you go to the doctor when you're sick, or do you get, get in his presence and believe him for your healing? Do you receive some kind of counseling when, you feel, when you're feeling overwhelmed and anxious, or do you just need to get into the word and be in prayer more? 
And I've got to tell you, denominations have been split and new ones created over these types of questions. And maybe I'm stretching the story out a little bit and making a bigger deal out of it than it is. I, I really don't think I am. I think it really comes down to this. It's a big deal and we must not miss, we must not miss the truth here. And this is where the meat of what Jesus taught these foodies in this moment comes into play. Uh, where, where's the beef in this, right, in this story? And first of all, I'm going to say this. Mary chose what was better. She chose what was better. Jesus said that, that Jesus said that she chose what was better. He didn't say that she chose what was right, which is to say that both Mary and Martha were doing right things. But Mary chose what was better in that moment. Jesus wouldn't be physically with them forever. This, this, this was a moment that they could spend in his physical presence. This was the word of God teaching the word of God. Think about that. You could say that the rhema word, the spoken word, was teaching the logos word, written word, and it was the living word doing the teaching. I mean, it, it's a pretty amazing thing whenever Jesus teaches in the Bible. It was a significant moment whenever Jesus taught, but, but his teaching here was, a, was very personal and private. This was in the, the confines of their home. He was sitting right there. It, it, it wasn't to the masses. There wasn't all this stuff going on around them. Jesus was teaching right there, and, and it was kind of a perk for being hospitable to him. Mary recognized that this was special, and she chose to ignore the duties that she would have normally been expected to do, duties that her sister Martha was still expecting her to do. And I can only imagine what it must have been like to hear teaching from the physical mouth of the author of all truth. What is that? <laughs> Sounds like an air compressor, doesn't it? I don't know what that is. And it's off. Mary took the position of a learner and not a servant. And it wasn't wrong to serve, but it was better to sit in Jesus' presence and learn in that moment. I, I believe that we could take a lesson from Mary here. Remember, remember the warriors from the tribe of Ishkar? They knew the times because they studied. They studied mathematics, they studied stars, they studied the Torah, the Word of God. They knew what was going on. They understood the times they were, they were, they were in and we have access, this was Mary, she's listening to Jesus, she's learning from him, she's taking the time to sit with him and hear what the word of God himself is saying. And Jesus is the word of God, right? You know that. Amen. It says in John 1, 1 that in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. The word was God. So they understood the times they were in. Mary understood. And we, we have access to biblical study guides and materials I mean, like no other generation has ever had. Everybody take out your phone for a second. Do you know what kind of Bible apps you can have on your phone? I mean, you got the DAB, which reads the Bible to you a little bit every single day until you... Uh, until you got the whole Bible read in one year. You've got, you've got uh, the U version. You've got, you got all sorts of Bible apps. I have a, a Greek, Hebrew, a lexicon concordance on my Bible. It's an app you put on there. And any, Greek, any word that's in Scripture, you can, you can hit it, and it will tell you the, the, the original word in Greek or Hebrew, and then it will define it. I mean, 
so you can get even a deeper meaning. There's all sorts of apps out there, right? All sorts. All sorts of study guides. All sorts of Bible studies. You all got Right Now Media. You got classes coming up. The two classes that are going on, plus prayer, which there's teaching that goes on in there too, and Darwin does a great job in there. there there's all of this stuff that we have available to us to get the Word of God, to sit in the, the presence of the Word of God himself, and many of us just don't do it, and we don't understand. And why is that? Is that because we live in a microwave generation that just wants everything quick and easy? I mean, I don't have to learn my instrument. I just watch a five-minute YouTube video, and poof, I'm a guitar player. How many guitar players know that that doesn't work that way? But I can guarantee you right now there's people who think it does. Oh, let, 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 let's watch a video on how to play the piano. Oh, I learned, I learned a couple things. I got it. I'm, I'm a piano player. I can play. Well, that really stinks for those of us that played for 40 years to try to keep learning and keep playing and keep, you know, oh, I wish they would have had a video back then. Nothing comes easy in reality. None of that stuff comes easy. And the Word of God, knowing it and understanding it and being it, that's not something that just, you can come to church once a week, maybe a Wednesday night here or there, and be like, I'm a super Christian, I know the Word of God. You're going to get bits and pieces of it maybe, and that's great, but until you get in the Word of God yourself, you are not going to be one of those people that understands the times. Amen. You just won't. Well, i got a senator or a better pastor then. Well, maybe you do. But good luck finding one who can give you all that because nobody can. No person can do that for you. We can help, but nobody can do it for you. You have to do that. Turn to your neighbor just for a second and say, you need to do it yourself. Raise your hand if that convicted you when your person you're sitting by said that to you. I mean, come on. We need to get in the Word of God ourselves. We absolutely do. It's, it's not about, well, I listen to podcasts and I, until you open that book, blow the dust off of it, open the book and really get into it, use the apps, use the guides, the study guides, go to church, hear the messages, listen to the podcast, do all that. That all enhances you getting in the book. But just you got to get in the book. You know, as pastors, we're often told and challenged, don't let your devotion time be substituted or, or used or, or, or the box checked off for your devotion time using your study time for sermons. We're told that all the time, aren't we? Like, you can study all day, all week, all just diving into Scripture, diving into Scripture, but that's not my devotion time. Shouldn't be. Mary, I think, understood the times. She was at his feet, listening to the word. She knew in that moment, it's better to sit here than to go about my daily tasks. And all this study stuff that we have, all these things we have access to, guess what? We are fastly, rapidly becoming um, a generation that is one of the most Bible illiterate generations within the church that there's ever been. I mean, I'm even talking about those that couldn't read knew the Bible better than some of us do because we just don't get in it. We want it quick. It takes time. It takes effort. I 
As things unfold within our world, we need to have a deep understanding of what is happening. And we should know the times and season we are in, spiritually speaking, because of our commitment to the study of the Word of God. Mary was learning. She was sitting in the Lord's presence, studying, listening, spending time with Him, allowing the Holy Spirit to lead her. We need to do the same thing. She took the posture of a student submitting to the teacher. We need to do the, take the same posture. We need to submit to our teacher, the Holy Spirit, and let Him lead us into all truth as we consume the Word of God. And Martha was giving her sacrifice, which, which wasn't wrong, but Mary, I think, knew that to obey in that moment was better than sacrifice. She just wanted to be with Jesus. I mean, we sang it this morning. Give me Jesus, give me Jesus. You can have all this world, all the things that we have to do. You can have it all, but just give me Jesus. So Mary chose what was better. Number two, Martha didn't choose what was wrong. And I, I want to make this point here. Because I want to reassure all you practical people who love to roll up your sleeves and get busy to serve the Lord and work, that Martha was not wrong in wanting to get dinner on the table, and she wasn't wrong in making sure that Jesus' physical needs were tended to. It wasn't that she was wrong to serve. It was just that it would have been better if she would have put the practical aside for a moment and spent some time with Jesus before she got so busy with all those things that she, needed, she thought needed to be done in that moment. That's why Jesus said, he didn't say, Mary chose what was right. He said Mary chose what was better. Big difference. And let me say this to all of us. We must not become so distracted by the practical that we fail to do the spiritual. And it happens. How many know we're busy people? How many have a busy schedule? I mean, like four of you. I just... How many are busy people? Are you with me today? Yeah. All right. Lots of busyness. Work, extracurricular activities, all this stuff. It's so easy to get distracted that we forget to do the spiritual. And it's amazing how Martha, if you, if you look at the story, she went from welcoming Jesus as her esteemed guest to blaming him for not caring about what she was going through within a couple of verses. Verse 38 says, she welcomed Jesus into her home. Oh, Jesus, come on in. Come join us. Our house is your house. You know, we got, we're, we're going to feed you. We're going to take care of you. This is your, you can land here. You can rest here. Relax, chill out, take a break. We're here to serve you. She's welcoming Jesus into her home. And then, that's in verse 38. And then ver verse 40, just a couple verses later, she says this. And it's, it's so amazing. She says, she says that she came to the Lord and asked him, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work myself? Lord, don't you care about me? Lord, don't you care that my sister is sitting there not doing all the work and I'm doing all the work myself? And then she says this, and this is gutsy, this is bold. She says, she says this to Jesus, tell her to help me. Tell her to help me. Like, we can walk around and command Jesus. She doesn't even say please. She just says, tell her to help me. Oh, Jesus, come into my home. One verse later, tell her to help me. It just seems very odd to me that it went south so fast. Mary, now picture this, Mary is sitting there so she can totally hear what Martha is saying and, 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 and Martha knows it. Mar Martha is trying to address her issues with Mary by accusing Jesus of not caring. I thought about this, and I thought, uh, 
is this, uh, is this a little passive aggressive or manipulation or is something going on here? Uh, she said, do you not care that I'm doing all the work? She's just sitting there listening to you. And, and, and then she even says to Jesus, tell her to help me again. And, and it seems a little, again, a little bit passive aggressive, trying to address her anger towards Mary by complaining to Jesus about her when she's in front of you. Like, can you picture that? Here's Mary, here's Jesus. Martha, I'm Martha. Do I got to be a little more effeminate to be Martha? Um, Martha. She comes up and she's like, Jesus, my sister is not doing anything and I'm doing all the work. Her sister's right there. My sister's doing, you need to tell her to help me. Like, I thought about that and I thought, how many times do we do the same kind of thing? Right? We like try to address our problems through another person. Our problems with somebody, we go through somebody else to get to... You get it. It wasn't wrong to be working hard and serving Jesus, but her attitude was wrong. It's always problematic when your service to Christ begins to be the substitute for your relationship with Christ. I want you to hear that. It's always problematic when your work for Christ becomes the substitute for your relationship with him. And it happens to all of us. All of us. We think we're really, really good. We're right in that sweet spot if we're working hard for Jesus. And he says, I just want you. I just want you. I, yeah, there's, there's serving that has to happen. Yes, I get that. All that's good. But I want you. It happens so subtly within our lives. We get focused on doing instead of just being. Doing and being Doing is great. We love to be the answer to the very prayer that Jesus told us to pray. Ask the Lord of the harvest to send out the workers into his harvest field. That's what Jesus said. So we, we pray, Lord, send workers out in the harvest field. And when we get opportunities, we go out in the harvest field and we work and we work and we serve and we, we do all the things we're supposed to do. We volunteer at our church. We, we do good things. And, and then all of a sudden it's like years go by and he doesn't even know who we are because we've spent no time with him. We've just done Work for him. Doing is not wrong. It just becomes a problem when we let our doing distract us from our being. And being is great. But if your being, and hear me, never prompts you to do, at what point does the authenticity of your faith come into question? And I'm kind of going back and forth here because this is, this is, the, this is the problem, right? Do we do or are we to just be? James 2, 14 through 17, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such a faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If, if one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith is by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. Real faith always puts feet to itself, right? You always got to put feet to your faith if it's going to be a real, if it's real faith, there'll be feet, there'll be action, it'll happen. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9, for it is by grace that you have been saved through faith, and this not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. It's not by works that you're saved, by deeds, so that no one can boast. The same, well, not the same guy who wrote this, but this is, this is two different ends of the spectrum, Right? And it's not the Bible contradicting itself, not at all. 
And it leads me right into my next point. Balance is an amazing goal between these two things. The answer to who was right in this scenario, Mary or Martha, is not necessarily easy. Again, we know Mary chose the better of the two in that moment, but later we see Mary complaining to Jesus about not getting to them in time to heal her brother Lazarus. She says, Martha says, hey, don't move the stone. Uh, you know, the body stinketh. Mary falls at his feet again. We, we, I just talked about that a little bit ago. And she says, Lord, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. She expresses her faith in Jesus' ability to miraculously heal, but she blames him in the same sentence for not getting there in time. And there's a, there, there's a limit to her faith here, we see. Instead of having faith that Jesus can do more than heal, he can overcome death itself. And I saw this, I was like, oh my gosh, that's so true. She is sitting there blaming him for her brother's death instead of believing that he had power over death. That's Mary. She's the one that, that, that was doing good back at the house, doing what was better. It seems to be that her own grief and maybe even self-pity, I don't know, for her acknowledgement, uh, she's, she's laying at his feet for that, for her own grief and self-pity and her own, instead of acknowledging his power and authority. And of course, She's completely different again after he raises Lazarus from the dead and when she breaks the alabaster jar and anoints Jesus' feet with the expensive ointment, wiping his feet with her hair. I mean, she does that and it's, it's like she's preparing him for burial. It, it was a beautiful scene. And, and, and then you have good old Martha. You know, Martha, Martha, Martha. She's such a busybody. We always see her doing. We don't see her being really ever in Scripture, although I'm sure that she took time to be with Jesus. More than likely, church, you will have a natural tendency as an individual to be a Mary or a Martha. It will be easier for you to be one or the other because of your personality, your giftedness, or even your God-given calling. I'll be honest and tell you, I tend to be a Martha. It's not that I'm never a Mary. It's not that I don't know that, not that, I need, that I need to just be once in a while with Jesus. But my natural tendencies are to go, 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 go. How many are like that? A few of you? How many are honest enough to say, yeah, I'm like that? I get so busy, i got to stop and be deliberate about just being. And some of you might be like a Mary. And there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not better than you, and you're not better than me. You know, well, we're being. We get things done. We, we just let the Holy Spirit do all the work, and we don't have to do anything that's not what Jesus called us to do. I mean, yes, we need to pray. Yes, we need to let the Holy Spirit do the work. Absolutely. But he expects us to roll up our sleeves and get busy too. Do you see that? Pastor Barry, we're Pentecostal. We don't ever leave the presence of God. We just expect God to do all the work. We, we just sit back and enjoy his presence and all this stuff just happens. And I, I'm telling you, I, I'm probably stepping on toes right there by saying that in a derogatory way. There's nothing better than the presence of God. Don't get me wrong. Nothing better. Nothing more important for us to do than be in the presence of God. But God does wire us in a way where we need to put action to our faith because faith without works is dead. We just read it. There's not a right and wrong here. It's a balance. Balance in these two things is an awesome, awesome goal. 
If you tend to be a doer like Martha, then you're going to need to take time and be deliberate in your being with Jesus. Work hard serving him, but be very intentional about getting in the word and spending time in prayer. You got to if you're a doer. If you tend to be like Mary and it's easy for you to just be in the presence of Jesus, prayer comes easy, getting lost in his word comes naturally for you, then you must also be careful not to let that become the end of your faith. Faith must have feet if it's authentic. We're not saved by works, but faith without works is dead. Don't make the mistake of choosing sides on this. We all need to be balanced in both our being and in our doing. How many are more like Mary? Raise your hand. If you're more like Mary, it's easy for you just to be in the presence. Raise them up. Come on. I'm, we're, we're family. There's like five of you. How many hate voting and you're just not going to vote on anything I say? <laughs> well, you just did. So, you know, now you, you, you're not, it's not true because you voted. Um, if you're a Mary, I envy you. I do. Because I, I, I wish it would be that easy for me. Like my, my anxiousness and my get her done attitude wouldn't get in the way sometimes, and it does sometimes. But if, if you're a Mary, I would hope that you would envy the doers a little bit and not just become, well, I spend time in this presence, and you don't. Because the fact of the matter is, Mary had responsibilities that she wasn't doing. Now, she chose the better thing in that moment, but how many know she probably should have worked extra hard and extra did extra work later to make up for what she wasn't doing in the moment. She chose what was better, no doubt. But that doesn't mean she's relieved of all duties. I think when we look at, it, at one another as, wow, that's an amazing gift. I need to be around that so I can, I can soak some of that in. Jared said something about a sponge today. Let the Holy Spirit just Let's saturate us like a sponge. Wouldn't it be cool if we, it, it, when we're around other people that are, that are maybe lean the, the opposite direction in this from us, that we would, we would kind of soak up some of that and they would soak up some of us and then we would become balanced in that? Take-home box. We are usually pretty sure of ourselves and how we live. We usually believe we are right, and it's a rare person who can admit that they may not be as right on some things as they may think. It's hard to admit imperfections or even our own need to change or adjust. It was hard for me to admit that I snored, but like I said, I was six years old. None of us in here are six. Admitting that we aren't always as right as we think we are is an exercise in humility, one that we can learn and let it change us. Jesus wants us to be the kind of people that are balanced in being and in doing. Being involved, spending time with Jesus, communicating in prayer, as well as spending time in his word. If we act at, or if we work at being with Jesus, we will know and understand the times we are living in and what we're supposed to do. That's, we will know. We will understand. We'll have a deep understanding, even in moments of turmoil and, and even tribulation somewhat that's going on in this world that we see happening. And if you think it's just going to always be over there and it's never going to come to us, you're mistaken. We have to be people who are ready and will understand. 
Doing involves putting feet to your faith, acting on what he tells you to do. Making those divine appointments that he has for us. And that's going to bring an authenticity to your faith for sure. A realness to it. I, I, sometimes I wonder for the being people, if they're sitting there so long in the presence of God or in his word and they're just studying and just basking in who he is, which is all great. I'm, I'm not saying it's wrong. Does God ever tell you to do something with that? And do you do it? I mean, the, the busybodies are like, God, quick, tell me, tell me, tell me, tell me, tell me, tell me. And then he tells them, oh, I'm out of here, you know, and they're going to do it. And that's not necessarily good either. I'm not saying that. I'm just... One or the other is never the best choice, generally speaking. It's a balance between the two. Sometimes you need to, you, you just, in the moment, in that right moment, you need to be. You just need to sit there in the presence of God, soaking it in. And other times you need to get up and go to work. It's a combination of both, as we're led by the Holy Spirit. And so I want to challenge you today with that. It's 11.30, I ended right on the mark. See that? I looked up and it changed to 30, 11.30. I just want to challenge you with this, that um, balance is not easy. And to know that you know that you know that you're right in this, maybe you're not. Maybe you are. I'm not accusing anybody of not being balanced. But how many would stand this morning and just say, I need to be more balanced? Is there anybody that would stand? Go ahead. If that's you, if that's your heart, stand up. Say, I need to be more balanced in this. I need to be being, I need to be doing. Be listening to the Holy Spirit in all of it. Some of you got this all figured out, and that's great too. But I'm going to ask uh, Pastor Donnie to come up and pray, close us in prayer this morning. And we will see you at Life Group tonight. God bless you. Lord, we come, God, we just thank you for this message, God. Again, we pray for Israel and that your hand would be upon that situation, God, and uh, help us to turn to you and to um, just get in our word, Lord. Help us to be more balanced in our life, God, that we will be people of the word and we will be people that put action and feet to that, Lord. We just thank you for uh, this great day, and Lord, just help us to have... um, a wonderful afternoon at Life Group, and that we would just be your hands and your feet, Lord, as we go out from here. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for being a part of the Indianola First podcast. Join us next week to stay updated on our latest messages.